不要离话筒太近，也不要太远，保持一个拳头的距离就行了。Don't get too close to the microphone or too far. Please maintain about a fist distance from the microphone. And welcome to the Upbow Download. This is episode two. My name is Luke Carvin, and I am once again Kenny Keppel. We're recording at the Australian National Academy of Music in South Melbourne, Annam. And this week, we're going to talk about perfection. What is perfection, and per- why do we strive for it? Perfection is a really difficult thing to talk about, isn't it? Because everyone knows what the word means. Perfect it means without blemish, right? Without fault. But、yep. what does that mean in classical music? I think、um, if we're going to talk about perfection, we've got to talk about how we try and achieve it, and also why. And does it actually make the the, the experience of the music better?、Mm. Yes, it does. Yeah.、Uh, <laughs> well, I think it's impossible in a way. That's well. That that's what you hear all the time, isn't it? Is that actually achieving what you might call perfection is kind of it, it is. It's more or less impossible, isn't it? Yeah. Depending on how you define perfection. I mean, like、uh, you and I were talking about this before before we sort of came in about. I don't think I've ever done a perfect performance, to be honest. Yeah, like the number of times that I've hit every single note perfectly with like you know great intonation, the right articulation, is probably. Zero, probably zero. <laughs> and you and I play quite a bit. That's the thing. Well, I mean,、yeah. over the years, I'm sure we've done. You know, like probably. Well, yeah. I mean, being here in Anam, there are you know, there's heaps of gigs that, you, and you get lots of opportunities to you know really nail the performance. And of course, we strive to as much as possible. But the fact of the matter is, we're all human, and humans make mistakes. To err is to human. Yeah. To err is to human. To be human. To err is to be human. That's right,、um, and I think it's kind of like once you once you accept that, things get a little bit easier. At the end of the day, though, it's about striving for a higher standard, right? Like we we try to attain perfection to get ourselves as close to it as possible, as close to this unachievable ideal. That's right. So that what we end up putting out of the horn is still at a pretty good level, is still at a pretty high standard, even compared to our own high standards, right? Yeah, that's right. And we talked about this with.、Um, Uh, 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 pianist Pavli Yupanen, who spent a little bit of time here at Anam. So we've got our own interview with Pavli coming up a little bit later in the episode. But before that, why don't we why don't we break this apart? Why don't we break this down a little bit? And what is to you? What is perfection? Well, I think it means a number of things, but also at the same time, it means nothing.、Hmm. As in, like, if you want to talk about being perfect, you you know you want to you want to play. Every note that's written down on the page, you know, and it's great. It's great to be able to do that, to be able to hit every note, and to have the amount of concentration that you need, so that you don't falter and fall off the horse.、Um, but then again, if you hit every note perfectly, does that mean that you've actually achieved a good performance? The the answer is no. Surely, it depends on the music, I think. But by and large, no. Because I mean, sure, you can hit every note, but it's 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 whether it's whether the intention behind it is is just to are you just playing notes or are you are you are you trying to create an actual piece of music?、Um, and then I, I in my in my view, with all of the technology that has developed in the last century, in terms of recording and editing and Also, live processing of sound through analog and digital means. I think we've come to this sort of、uh, this sort of weird expectation that、um, everything has to be in tune 
and on time and anything outside of that is just wrong. That's super tough, hey. Isn't that hard? Isn't that ridiculously hard? Because like, on the one hand, it's great because it holds you to a higher standard. It's like, I should be able to do this. And definitely, I think, I think nowadays, the, the, the standards that, that especially classical musicians are held to and are expected to um, perform at is, is higher than it was, you know, 100, 200 years. A human performer is going to make a mistake. It's not always going to be exactly what it is, but it's almost that imperfection is, 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 is what, it's what makes a human. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, personally, I don't really enjoy listening to performances where it doesn't feel like there's some sort of human quality to it, right? Like, you, you want to hear a person behind that instrument trying to express something in their soul or their personality or something that they believe is, you know, within the music. And it's just uninteresting to hear machine-like playing. Speak, speaking of, I'm glad you said machine then. There's this automation movement that's sweeping the globe, right, where um, there are many, many occupations are now being taken over by um, digital technology and robots. And right? robots, yeah. And, 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 you know, Honda have made this robot that can play the trumpet. Have you seen that? So it's like this no. robot. And, 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 through, and through, you know... Um, really? Yeah, through air technology, and this robot plays, plays the trumpet. And I've been thinking about that a little bit in terms of, like, I wonder if automation will ever affect... Um, the classical music industry where we, we might be playing second trumpet to a robot on first trumpet or something like that. <laughs> and, 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 and do you know what I mean though? Like if a trumpet gets, if a robot gets up and plays like a, um, uh, I don't know, a Haydn trumpet concerto, whatever, is it just phrasing that's the difference between that robot and a human player that just plays the exact same concerto? Like if, if they both made no mistakes, is it just that the human, you know, uh, knows a little bit about which note should be louder and softer? Okay, so... Let's let's think about like you go to a performance and it's a robot orchestra, right? Yeah. What and and everything and everything goes perfectly and you know there are no wrong notes and it sounds phenomenal and great. And let's say that it's a repeat performance, you know, like you go on Friday night and it's great, and then you go back on you know Saturday afternoon or something, and it's exactly the same performance, and nothing's changed and nothing's different because they're robots and they've been programmed to do it a certain way. What, what is the point of that? I don't, I, that? That does not interest me in the slightest. And I think that's the difference, is that as humans, sure, we can achieve this like robotic perfection as much as possible, but to be able to make split-second decisions and to be able to be spontaneous and creative, that's, that's why being human is better than being a robot. <laughs> yeah, that, that being said, I'd, I'd absolutely go and check out a robot orchestra. I reckon that'd be freaking cool. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. definitely. <laughs> well, I mean, you listen to most, like, electronic dance music these days and it's basically a robot orchestra. Like, it's just, like, an orchestra of synthesizers, right? Yeah, but controlled by a human. And it's, it's funny what you're saying yeah. about, like, um, spontaneity because that ties in a little bit with... Um, with our guest this week, Andrew Leithwick, who we'll be talking to a little bit later, who's uh, <laughs> he's got quite a spark of that creativity himself. I think there's there's really no right or wrong answers when it comes to a perfect performance. I mean, it's just... And everyone's interpretation of what you've done on stage is going to be different anyway. That's right. Let's have a listen to what Pavli had to say about this. Yeah. Right. Yes, um, I am Pavel Jumpanen, a Finnish pianist. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Do you need anything more? <laughs> no, that, that'll do. I'm me. 
Good. This morning when I woke up, I, I, I saw myself again. Yeah, so um, I'm a Finnish, uh, Finnish musician. Uh, I travel a lot in the world. Um, my interests are, are, uh, are very much in the realm of classical music, but I explore different, different uh, areas of that. I, uh, I play a lot of solo. Mostly my concerts are solo, recital. Um, but, I, uh, but I enjoy the big chamber music and the small chamber music, meaning uh, orchestral uh, performances and, and then smaller ensembles. Uh, I've currently been here at Anam for nearly three weeks or a little bit over two weeks, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, preparing uh, a few few performances with Anam musicians, and we're just about to hit hit on this the tour uh, beginning today in Geelong, Geelong, yeah. Geelong, that should be fun, and Perth and Brisbane, repeating uh, a program or let's say recreating a pro- program which was performed here yesterday, and after that I go back to Finland. For a few days, then go to Italy to prepare for a recording, uh, which I'm doing in, later on in June. And so, uh, what are you recording? Yeah, yeah what, what, what I'm re- um, going to record the Debussy Preludes, the two books of the oh, Debussy which Preludes. Are yeah, some that you're performing. Yeah, now. some of the some of them are. So in that's the, handy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's 24 preludes, so I get to yeah. <laughs> rehearse these three in these concerts. But anyway, so that's that's been uh, that repertoire has been an ongoing thread uh, my uh, my uh, program for a few years now, and yeah. now it's. Uh, uh, time to record it. So this is probably a good um, starting point because what we're talking about at the moment is the idea of perfection within classical music, which is a hugely contentious subject. Because um, on the one hand, perfection is this thing that can't really be attained objectively, and we try to push ourselves as close towards that ideal as possible. And if this is repertoire which you've been playing for some years now, and you're about to record after being playing for some time, um, what, what's your take on? Um, the level required to, to put it on a disc? Well, um, I like this idea of perfection, but I think that it's uh, very much a double-edged sword. Uh, if we think of it as not making mistakes, I think that's uh, obviously a huge, huge mistake and, and uh, is counterproductive. But if we think of um, it as sort of freedom, um, relaxedness, I'm thinking quite often actually uh, when it comes to performance, um, this um, discipline of uh, throwing the discus uh, where um, if you really want to throw it very long, <laughs> um, you have to you have to have the, exactly the right technique. But in the moment of ac- the execution, um, you you must be relaxed and you must be willing to make a mistake and throw it out outside of the sector. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it'll just you know be very short. Um, similarly, I think in music, be it a performance or a recording or or just just a house concert, uh, if you are wanting to avoid those mistakes, uh, you're not you're not going to go very far. It's a bit of a truism, actually, but I, I think that I mean we know this uh, very well. And it's very easy to say that, but actually in performance, uh, once we get in front of 200 people, uh, it's not so easy to do. So you have to have you have to have that sort of uh, courage to be able to um, make a mistake uh, and uh, yeah, be free with it somehow. When then. Um, when you think about recording something, uh, recording is like a photograph, so it freezes time and uh, and um, allows us to to visit that very moment uh, later on. Um, I think it's well for me. It's been very important uh, to to sort of realize that uh, a recording is only capturing that one moment uh, in your in your development in, in the piece. Uh, you you will 
always play play the piece differently two years from 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 now you don't you might not even like your recordings or maybe you'll like them better better than what you're doing currently at that time uh but i've always approached recordings as being in the process uh until the very last moment and even in the sessions tr- trying to find new ways of playing and then just sort of recording that and what comes out of it comes out i don't think of of uh i don't aim at creating an interpretation which is uh perfect or which is something that i would be proud proud of later on mm-hmm. uh, rather i try to time the process so that so that i i i'm motivated in the music i'm ready to go and um when it comes down to making the recording um i just try to enjoy playing and uh, i also also listen in the sessions quite a bit so i work typically with the same producer when we, when we're making solo piano recordings and our our way of working is that i play a couple times he makes comments then i play some more then we listen to together and then we make comments together and then we get get back to get back back to playing more so your your producer knows the repertoire quite well he will know the repertoire not too well actually uh mm. because that's also i think it's also important it gives depth to our team that uh, that he listens to the music with a little bit different ears uh yeah. not actually trying to uh know where i'm coming from but to, to trying to react to what i'm doing and uh he'll be there with score and he'll note things that i've forgotten in the score and these kind of things and and uh, and and then it's a it's a sort of a it's a sort of a mix mix of these it's i think it's also w- w- once we're then on the editing table um i think the attitude is very much that we're not trying to um create something that we know we're going to create uh but rather uh, we see what's on the table and and uh, we're making a new kind of uh, musical interpretation yeah. or reading rather reading of of, of the piece and um connecting uh, different takes we'll, we'll we may end up having a version which i never played but which is just uh which is uh which is nice you know i mean by this i mean that we'll we'll create a combination of takes mm. which originally didn't belong together but make a lot of musical sense and it's always geared towards finding uh, uh an, or creating an in, in interpretation which uh, seems natural which seems organic and uh and and there you go so i suppose perfection isn't something that you need to aim for more so intention and like personality well i i like to think of a process and sort of sort of uh, remember remembering to uh take a glance at every corner of the piece and every corner of the of of the music at hand um and uh, i know i have noticed a trend with my producer uh which is that uh, that oftentimes i make a little say mistake or uh, maybe not necessarily a wrong note or something like this but mm. but something in the phrase a little little part uh, little bit here maybe rushing or or in a chord not everything comes out um very very evenly and uh, typically that's the take which i like and typically that's the take which he doesn't like and uh, and uh, uh what what comes out of that is is often a negotiation uh we may if we if we don't have the chance to to do more takes we may actually bargain and uh, and and get into uh, figuring out together what what's the best way to go here in choosing this text but we may end up doing a retake where we try to capture those both things you know the the correctness and uh, the spur of the moment kind of thing but i think also that in music there are beauty spots like in like in, like in life and like 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 in people are uh, 
perfection as not again as not making mistakes or creating something which is which is sterile um, is no longer interesting it's no longer alive do you think do you think this whole idea though is symptomatic of the, uh, what we've now got which is sort of you know everything can be recorded digitally and you can do it a thousand times over and over and pick the best one do you is I mean is this is it a problem do you think that that well, we, we we get these recordings and, and we think oh it's just you know it's fantastic and it's just you know maybe maybe once upon a time it was um, when when a lot of uh, recordings started to happen uh, in the second second part of the the past century I think this may have been may have been the issue that it was possible to do well quote unquote perfection mm. uh, and and therefore people did it. But I think that this is, I think that this might be going away. Uh, and, uh, one, I mean, rec- recording, recording in the industry is, is suffering from, from, uh, you know, low sales and, and, uh, people don't, uh, invest so much in the, uh, production, productions anymore. And, and that's the sort of, a, that, that, that's a problem for them. But on the other hand, this, this time has created, um, uh, uh, an environment where, uh, recordings are made on the spot people can record themselves uh, and uh, people may not listen to CDs that were created three years ago uh, mm. anymore and that's I think that's also a, 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 a sort of a, a possibility for for regaining some of this spontaneity and uh, look I mean we've been we've been recording vinyl recordings uh, also uh, doing direct to disc vinyl recordings where it's obvious that you'll end up having mistakes on the on the record but that on the other hand that one side of that LP, uh, is for sure one performance, and uh, actually it's been very educational to do the vinyl recordings together uh, with the same team that has been doing digital recordings, where everything is possible. We can avoid the mistakes, but uh, I think that we've taken uh, away from from the vinyl processes uh, this uh, need uh, for a performance. Often also, um, when um, I have noticed that uh, people go into to the recording session and uh, they do all these takes and there's fantastic stuff there but the performance is then edited out on the editing table when uh, people uh, fall, fall, fall into trying to avoid the mistakes and so you, you do have to have the courage when choosing the takes and when actually creating the master you have to have the courage to have include those beauty spots mm-hmm. uh, not everything can be combined uh, as far as uh, cho- choosing takes, but coming back to your original que- question, I don't, I, I can't myself be thinking that we are living a, a time where creativity it would be more difficult to be creative. Um, it may feel that way, but but I don't know. I have this sort of naive belief that uh, creativity <laughs> always finds it's it's like water in a building. It'll always <laughs> it'll always you know leak somehow. <laughs> yeah, because you, yeah. you you often you often um, hear the phrase going around that you know it's all been done before, and that you know anything that you do now as a musician has you know it's been it's been done that way before. And, and but it's that that's yeah I, I know. But that's uh, as silly as saying that you know people have eaten before, so why eat? <laughs> so uh, uh, I think we have a need to uh, experience art, and we have a need to experience uh, being together, creating mm. these things together, and um, and uh, there's always always room for that. 
but maybe it's also worth not to think so much about, about posterity. Um, we probably shouldn't be creating these projects so that they will live forever. I think we should be concentrating very much on, on now mm. and uh, doing things so that we can be happy. Yeah, yeah. I guess it comes down to this idea of um, originality as well. You hear that phrase as well, still like an artist, right? Like we're part of a spectrum, we're part of a, you know, a continuum with some incredibly giant masters behind us and probably some incredible giant masters in front of us as well and, and we're sitting you know somewhere along that spectrum trying to contribute right yeah well everything is a reflection of of, of, of the current time uh, we're all I mean all, also the great masters of the past were were a re- reflection of their time mm. um, we, we may wonder why why is it that uh, that uh, that in such a short time span you know a couple of decades there were these composers in this one small town of Vienna you know Haydn, Mozart, Schubert, Beethoven that all that that uh, we we keep going back to their music and I cannot believe that it's an accident that four geniuses dropped from the moon and started to compose masterpieces which are greater than anything else I think there must be something in that time uh, that is magnetic to us in this time and and uh, and uh, the art and the people that were created by that time, during that time, are something that 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 uh, have uh, kept being valuable to us in some way. Yeah, I suppose like the, the Mendelssohn revival of Bach is a good example of that, right? Like it, it wasn't that popular before that time, but now it's some of the most popular what we call classical music. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's so interesting what, what you were saying before yeah. about um, uh, the vinyl recordings. Uh, is is this? Like, what's the theory behind that? Because uh, vinyl is obviously making a bit of a comeback. Mm-hmm. There's a story. Um, friends of mine uh, at Ebel Berliner Studios, um, actually who were producers and uh, recording engineers, ended up buying that studio a few years ago and sort of uh, trying to, to attract new business. Originally, it was a studio that worked mostly for the Deutsche Grammophon, but then they started to work for other companies as well. And uh, as, the, as these guys purchased the, the studio a few years ago, um, they also got all the equipment that was there. And they saw that there was this vinyl recording equipment sort of lying in a corner uh, that, that had last been upgraded in, uh, 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 in 1990, which was just about when the, when the vinyl went out for good mm. or seemingly for good. Yeah. And, uh, and um, these, uh, these uh, recording engineers and producers who just... Uh, inherently have an interest towards all these sort of possibilities and technical parts of the recording. Uh, we're looking at that equipment and saying that wouldn't it be fun to do something with it? And so uh, they ended up um, uh, sort of uh, creating this label, Berliner Meisterschallplatten. <laughs> the name comes out of the hall, which is uh, in, the, in, the, in the same building with the, with the studios, Meistersaal. And I uh, started to do vinyl recordings, um, uh, recording different, uh, different genres, and uh, it was just a fun thing for them to do. And at one point, because I was work, uh, working with them um, doing these digital recordings, they wanted ask, asked me if I wanted to do a vinyl recording, which is you know performance of fifteen to twenty minutes, uh, even which is recorded and you can't edit it at, at all afterwards. Um, and even say um, you have to play that everything that is on one side of the LP on one go. Basically, if you have two pieces, you even have to take the break between the two pieces. So once the needle drops on the mm. on the lacquer disc, it, it only comes 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 off at the at the end. And uh, so we did one, and it was tremendous fun. It's actually interesting as a performer. Uh, normally, doing digital recordings, you're the one who is on the spot. Uh, there, the people recording, of course, they can end up, you know, capturing bad sound or 
or positioning the mics the wrong yeah. way. But but when it comes to actually performing, they just press rec and and uh, and and you play and you're all alone there with your you know technical difficulties and all that. But when when you're doing a vinyl recording, the whole team is on the spot in the same way. The act, the guy who's uh, who's uh, sort of running this uh, lacquer disc carving machine. Uh, he has to um, create more space um, between the stripes um, uh, when there's more dynamic. So basically, when you play louder, he has to know the piece. When you play louder, he has to operate differently than when you when you uh, <laughs> play softly. And uh, if you, for instance, play a, a a sudden loud loud forte chord, and he's not prepared for that, the whole disc may be dis- destroyed. That destroyed, yeah, and that whole the will go over yeah, each other. Yeah. yeah, and so wow. so so. There's a different kind of tension in the whole team when you're doing doing vinyl recording. Everybody's like, now the take is on, so everybody and better watch it. that's why you say it was fun. Yeah, it was great fun. It was great fun for every, everybody. And uh, like I said, we also learned a lot about, uh, about what's worth recording. Mm. Uh, and I think that uh, we've benefited from that in the, in the digital world. Oh, right. Thank you very much for thank joining you. us. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, it's been quite interesting. Yeah, and it's been, I'm, I'm looking forward to tour. Yeah. It's going to be good. So that was Pavali Jumpanen on his experiences as a pianist and his recording experiences as well. Really interesting insight into some of the things that he's done and uh, what his ideas about perfection are. So, in the studio with us now is Andrew Leithwick, who is one of the piano students here at Anam, and we're going to have our Minute of Mimicry with him right now. Just a quick reminder for fresh listeners, the Minute of Mimicry is a segment where we're going to introduce one NM student to you per week via music, and Kenny and I are then going to try to replicate what they play on their respective instrument, and it's going to be a bit of a mess. Or not. It could be, no, it could no, be no, bl- no, no, brilliant. It's going to be a bit of a mess. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. What key was that, Andrew? C minor. C minor. shouldn't keep doing this yeah no that was great that was fantastic but not exactly what he played (laughs) (laughs) Andrew come have a seat so Andrew who are you well I am Andrew John Woodamoo Leithwick and I study piano so what was that third name what was that third Uh, Andrew John Woodamoo Leithwick and that's a that's a Maori uh, yep that's right Uh, not because I actually have any Maori heritage whatsoever Uh, however um, the name was kind of thrown into our family tree when I had a great or great great grandmother or someone who wanted to surreptitiously name her son William without her husband knowing and he didn't realise that that was the Māori for William so 
Sneaky. Yes, indeed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Incredible. That's and um, would you mind uh, telling our, our dear listeners what that was that you actually played just then? Uh, well, that was Beethoven. Now, something tells me <laughs> that that was on your face. Actually, Beethoven. Yeah, it was uh, Beethoven with a few shots of whiskey. <laughs> You're quoting David Dolan there. Uh, yes, the, uh, I am. Yeah, yeah, the, the great improvising pianist from yeah. from Guildhall. Yeah. So you're quite an improviser yourself, aren't you? Uh, yes, I do. It's just something that's um, always been a part of what I do at the piano. Well, that's really how I first started out. I um, like before I had piano lessons, I'd just fiddle around on the piano and try and uh, make tunes as best I could. Hmm. And how old were you when you started doing piano things? Uh, I was nine years old when I started lessons. Or do you mean improvising? Well, I mean fiddling around, as you say. Um, I don't know. There's just always been a piano in the house as far as I can remember. So I would have a guess and say <laughs> maybe I would have began fiddling when I was maybe six or seven. But we were we were allowed to start lessons when we were nine. So there was quite a degree of anticipation yeah. I really so thought. where do you where do you want to go like you, you're here studying a piano and this is your second year now like what do you want to be doing in like five ten years uh, well I have a couple of um, a couple of passions one of them I mean I love music I love composing that's something I want to be doing a lot more of yeah um, in the next in the next few years is writing my own music and composing because I do find that piano on its own isn't capable of satiating my creative appetite. Um, So, uh, yeah, the next few years are going to be interesting. I'm looking at um, kind of stepping outside of um, full-time study, which is what I've been doing uh, for the last, well, this is my seventh year studying, so there are going to be some big changes in terms mm. of how I spend my time and my freedom to, um, well, to spend more time composing. Um, it can be quite liberating, though. I think very liberating. Um, and also, I have another big passion, which is studying Chinese, so it really wouldn't surprise me if I'm in China. and At some point in the near future. At some point in the near future, yes. Yeah. 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 Cool. That's fantastic. Oh, hey, I should quickly ask you as well. Uh, what have you got coming up at Annam? Uh, well, I'm playing in the the Beethoven that you heard, although perhaps you will hear it a bit differently if you come along. Um, <laughs> the third Beethoven piano concerto in the um, next round of the concerto competition. It's mm-hmm. on Tuesday. I think I'm on at 3.20 uh, in the hall. We're talking Tuesday, uh, June 14th, aren't we? Uh, yep, that's the one. Yeah, mm-hmm. Very next Tuesday. Yeah, and other than that, actually, I don't have much on the rest of this month, which is quite a welcome change from the busyness of the last month. Mm. Beautiful. Well, we uh, look forward to hearing you on Tuesday. Great. Thank you. So, Luke, tell us about what's coming up at Adam. Yeah, there's two gigs we should talk about, isn't there? The first one's this, um, uh, the foray project with uh, Scottish pianist and musicologist Roy Howard. This is June 24th in the evening. Here at Adam in the South Melbourne Town Hall. That's right, in the Town Hall. Um, it's hard to know what to say about this, isn't it? Like it's an, it's a concert entirely of of, of Gabriel Fauré's music, and you know, uh, the French music from this period is, is is extremely florid and 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 lucid, and and there's there's so much colour to delve into. Yeah, with Fauré, his harmony and his melodies are second to none. Like, 
his music is beautiful. If you want to listen to beautiful music, this is the concert to come to. Yeah, this is it. And um, you're not playing in this, are you? No, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm rusted on for this one. But um, there are plenty of other very, very competent uh, Anna musicians who are going to be playing with Roy in the concert, um, and it's looking to be a really, really special collection of, of um, Foray's music. He didn't write much for clarinet, did he? I don't think. No. Um, actually, one of the trios that's going to be played in the concert. Um, there is a version which is for clarinet instead of violin, cello, and piano. It's uh, clarinet, cello, and piano. Yeah, right. Um, by Foray. Yep. Yep. By yeah, Foray. Beautiful. Um, so, but uh, you'll be hearing the violin, cello, and piano version in this concert. The other things that we're playing in that concert uh, include Foray's Elegy, Opus 24, for cello and piano, um, the piano trio, which I just mentioned, the fantasy for flute and piano, Nocturne. Uh, which is just for uh, piano. Um, his dolly suite for piano, four hands, so that's two people playing the same piano. And his quintet number one for two violins, viola, cello, piano in D minor. It's quite a piano-heavy program, really, but it's... Well, it's headed by, by a, a, piano, a so pianist. That doesn't make sense, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I actually had the very brief pleasure of talking to Roy a little bit about this project um, when I was in Brisbane a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he seemed really, really excited about about doing this project because he is a, he is an avid fan of Foray. He's such a natural musician too. I, I love watching Roy play. He's this this raw excitement. I think when he plays chamber music, and this is I think he was going to be an easy element for this. You could even say a Roy excitement. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, <clears throat> anyway. Um, so the other project that we should uh, talk very briefly about is this. Um, this one coming up, which is going to be headed by Howard Penny, who is the cello teacher here and uh, head of strings at Anim. Uh, he is going to be directing this project where we're doing Schumann's Third Symphony and the Mendelssohn uh, incidental music from A Midsummer Night's Dream. Now, we're doing this project with no conductor. This is super exciting to me. Like we've done these projects before. I mean, we did the Anthony Marwood um, concert last year, Beethoven Seven, no conductor, didn't we? Beethoven Seventh Symphony, right? Yeah, with yeah. no conductor. And um, in fact, around this time last year, there was um, uh, we did Beethoven Second Symphony as well. That's right, and and uh, that was Howard's project. That was Howard's yeah. project. So yeah. uh, he led from the cello chair, right? Yeah. This is orchestral chamber music, isn't it? Well, I think the whole the whole premise behind this is to show everyone, to show the musicians and the audience equally that orchestral music is essentially just a bigger version of chamber music um, and it's to get us as musicians listening to each other across the orchestra because that's a really, really important skill for playing in an orchestra and it's to show, a, I think, a, a slightly different side to the audience of, um, of orchestral music. So, yeah, uh, the Howard Penny Project on the 2nd of July, you don't want to miss that one. That's our last concert of this semester, so we're taking a big break in, in July um, after that. So Demi's out. Well, it's probably time for us to wrap up this episode. Yeah, I think so. This has been a long and windy episode, hasn't it, really? Yeah. I'm not sure if you've arrived anywhere, but it's been an interesting journey. We Thank talked you. about robots, we talked about perfection. <laughs> Had a little improv session with Andrew Leithwick. We played some Beethoven jazz. Uh, you know, Beethoven, please forgive us. Yep. Um, thank you very much for listening. Listeners, this has been the Upbow Download episode two. I've been Luke Carbon and I'm Kenny Keppel. I'll see you next time. See ya. Bye.